Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside regular co-host, host of the Bucks Radio Network, also host of the Bucks in 60 podcast, Justin Garcia is back. How are you doing, my friend? I am uh, doing good, and it feels like, man, it, a week has gone by already. It feels like only days ago we talked. It may have been only days ago. That might be the reason for that. And uh, before we keep going, I, I do always assume that the same people listening to the podcast are the people that uh, listen every single day. That's probably wrong of me. I'm sure we've got some new listeners to the podcast. And I've said this before, if you did tune into a Milwaukee Bucks podcast for the first time, you might be a little bit shocked when you hear my voice. But yes, I am an Australian. I'm currently in Australia. Last couple of seasons based in Milwaukee, uh, covering the team. Uh, also do some stuff for ESPN and NBA.com where you can find my writing. So it's just worth mentioning who I am. I'm not an imposter. I'm not just some random that has jumped on this podcast for today. Uh, you know, have been around the team a little bit and certainly around the city a little bit and only had to come home because it's, uh, it's a weird year. It's been a weird year for everyone. But uh, Justin, we are recording now as game six of the World Series is uh, getting close to a conclusion here. It's not too far away. I don't actually have the game on uh, where I'm recording here, but it's it's worth noting a controversial decision to take a take out Blake Snell uh, from the game. And I, I straight away, like most Bucks fans, couldn't help but think about Tony Snell. Now, we're going to talk about JJ Redick a little bit later on the podcast. Uh, we'll also talk some general NBA return stuff. It continues to be in the news. But I just wanted to start at first. Tony Snell, I think a bit of a fan favorite, a very quiet man. I've never, ever in my life met an NBA player that is more shy about doing media stuff. I remember one time we had to have Tony Snell in the, uh, in the usual post-practice press conference area, and he, was, he just did not want the cameras in his face at all. He's like, get these cameras away from me. I, I don't really want to talk to you guys. I don't feel comfortable about this. Uh, Tony Snell, unique character, but uh, very likable, likable guy. I do remember that. And um, <laughs> I, um, so when we would actually be allowed to attend the practices when things were somewhat normal and we would be there and the players would, uh, after they finish, the players and coach typically would address the media at that the scrum where, as you spoke of with Tony Snell, uh, typically every handful of games, I would talk with either Dan or Barry from the Bucks PR staff about, you know, let's say it's Brooke Lopez speaking and just go up to him and say, when Brooke is done with the scrum, uh, can I get him for two minutes just to record something for the pregame show on, on the Bucks radio network? And it, the, the response is almost always, yeah, sure. So um, I think it was Barry I said this to, and it was one of the first times I <laughs> conversed with Barry and tried to joke around with him and just approached him and said, uh, can I grab one of the guys – when they're done and just do something solo for about two minutes to air on the radio. And he said, okay, who do you want? <laughs> I said, Tony Snell. And 
the look that I got was <laughs> basically what I was hoping for. It was basically, are, are you serious? Who do you, no, who do you really <laughs> want? Like, uh, actually, I'll take John Henson. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you couldn't have actually got a bigger difference between Tony Snell and John Henson as well. Uh, the one thing I'll, I'll say about uh, Tony Snell, though, very, very popular in the locker room. Him and Giannis in particular got along very well. I actually only spoke to Tony one-on-one a couple of times. One time was like when I, when I wasn't recording and he was much more comfortable. He had to, a little bit to say. As soon yeah. as I pulled out my recorder, he got very scared. Then he clammed up. I mean, yeah. the, the real shame of it was I feel like the stories, it, for fans especially, and we started to see more and more of it, but none of that really came out until the very end with Tony Snell when he had the free throw champion belt. And, of course, the infamous three-piece chicken McNugget <laughs> chant that they would have during their shooting drills. Yeah, this guy at practice, it's hard to really believe, but he was the most vocal guy on the practice court when we saw them shooting around uh, post-practice. He would yell out that if he knocked down a couple threes in a row, it would be a two-piece McNugget and a three-piece McNugget and a four-piece <laughs> yeah. McNugget, and he would keep going. It was absolutely hilarious, and it was just hard to believe that this was the same guy. Do you have a favorite Tony Snell memory uh, from his time with the Bucks? That's it, because I remember yeah. being at uh, the practices that week, and it was probably that day where it became infamous. And I remember, um, so when we walk in through the doors, we usually basically congregate right there, and that's where the players would come and address us. And then there's two separate courts, and it was on the far court away from us where it was happening where you could hear the yells. And I remember as soon as I walked in looking over and thinking, who is that that's yelling and seeing, okay, it's Brooke Lopez and wait a minute, is, is that Tony Snell? That's the one that's yelling that. And sure enough, I mean, that's the one thing I will always remember. I mean, that and the direct handoff play. But other than that, I mean, that, that's it. That's going to stick with me the most. As soon as you hear him shouting it, like we cannot overstate how emphatic he was when he would yell this in these drills i mean it's it was pretty jarring as you're used to the quiet humble tony snell guy and then you see the guy behind closed doors with his teammates and it is completely different i'm not sure if you're going to remember this game Uh, i was in milwaukee at the time and i'd really only just dipped my toes into the media stuff a a little bit so i was 100 a fan i was at the bradley center i was drinking beers throwing beers down for a celtics and Bucks game, this was the season where Isaiah Thomas just went absolutely bonkers. Is that 2017? 17, yeah. Yeah, so this game was Celtics-Bucks, obviously, at the Bradley Center. Went to overtime in the end, and Tony Snell hit two huge threes uh, in overtime, or there was either one in, in late in regulation and one in overtime, but two huge threes late in the game. The Bucks ended up going down, but I remember just thinking... Because Isaiah Thomas went absolutely off in this game. I think he had 40 points, which was quite remarkable to see Isaiah Thomas live. I, I don't know how many of the listeners got the chance to see him up close, but legitimately just a, a tiny man amongst absolute giants. And he just could not miss anything. He was shooting threes off the dribble step backs. It was incredible. And Tony Snell almost brought uh, that, that great performance down. The Bucks actually lost the game, but I always remember that. Tony Snell coming up uh, clutch a couple of times there. Do you remember that game at all? Um, yeah, cause, uh, that was, um, it was overtime as you said, right? So that was, 
that was a January game, I believe. And um, I, I mean, if we're if we're talking about Tony Snell like game performances that you remember, um, there's that one. I mean, if we're being frank, there's probably five that you know you can count and say, yeah, I remember where Tony was big. I mean, the biggest one would have to be the Thunder game, right? Where it was his defensive stop on Russell Westbrook that won yeah. the game. And that might have been the same season. It was either that year or the following year. You also had the crossover on Bogdanovich. Uh, that's obviously <laughs> a, a memorable play. But uh, listen, as you said, we don't want to steal them all. If we've missed any, any Tony style moments that stand out to you guys, uh, the listeners, let us know on Twitter at Locked on Bucks. I do want to move on to the season return stuff now. Oh, so you're going to pull the Snell memories early here. We, we can't. I, I just, I don't want to steal the thunder of the listeners here because I, I'm sure that they have some, uh, some memories that we've gotten here. Tony Snell, uh, like I said, a pretty popular buck. Uh, obviously, again, a good hand at a pretty lucrative contract that's, uh, you know, full credit to him for doing so in the end. They had to squeeze him out uh, to bring other players to the team. All right, let's talk about the best tasting protein bar on the market. Of course, I am talking about Built Bar Justin. Uh, brand new and improved, better than ever. 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors. Uh, the 12 originals that I know everyone uh, is all over, all over. They got the peanut butter, the raspberry, coconut, almond, uh, plenty more there to check it out. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. Uh, great for the health conscious guy or girl. So if you're looking to uh, for a little pre-workout snack, a post-workout snack, uh, just something to get you through the day. There's nothing better than Built Bar uh, as far as protein bars go. There's nothing quite like it. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat because the bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. We've got a great deal for you guys. All you have to do is go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. As far as the season returning, though, and I briefly touched on this yesterday, but it's always easier to bounce some of these ideas off you, off you in this situation. And again, I think this morning it's becoming more and more emphasized. I saw Shams. I had a little video chat there on, on one of the, the athletic platforms where he was saying, it's, it's to be clear, this is a proposal from the league, a proposal that they really like, uh, but the Players Association will still have to go through this proposed December 22 start date prior to Christmas. Uh, the financial implications, we know it's been reported to be around $500 million difference here. Do you buy into the fact at all that LeBron might just say, I'm not playing, I'm not playing on December 22. That's, uh, that's too soon. Um, so you mean just that first game or I'm not coming back until I feel like I'm ready to come back? Yeah, which I guess would be another month. I mean, I know that's yeah, the month, I, I month mean, is what Danny Green said, but if, if he's yeah. seriously saying that he hasn't had enough time off, then I guess he's trying to say he's not going to play until the end of January or February. I uh, I buy LeBron James taking a lot of time off. I guess I I would be uh, shocked if uh, we're assuming the Lakers are going to be part of the Christmas Day slate. I would be shocked if LeBron James is not playing in that game, and then maybe you don't see him again for a couple games. I mean, I, I just I, I know the players went through a lot and they're in the bubble, but I, I'm really just finding it difficult to feel bad 
for the Lakers that they would only have two months off. And I say only two months off, given the fact that there was also another four months off that they had just prior to that. So I, I'm just as a... And, and we always have to understand what the players go through. And prior to the bubble starting, the concern was not only the fact that they had to be in the Disney compound for as long as they were. And I understand that would have been challenging for a number of reasons, particularly with everything else going on uh, on the outside. But they had four months off prior to that. And the, the major concern, I think, coming in from a lot of players was obviously the social justice stuff, but also health-wise, would it be safe to do so? They did that. I think we've seen other sports play on the outside. I'm just, I'm not able to get myself to the point where I feel bad for LeBron James only having two months off after winning the championship and then coming back to start the season when it's beneficial for everyone. It's beneficial for the players uh, from a financial point of view. It's beneficial for the game. It's just, to me, I, I'm like, come on, let's, let's, let's start the season. I understand it, it is very soon. If they can make it happen and if they can organize this in, a, in an appropriate manner to get the season started, and again, safety is of the highest priority, then I, I'm saying get it going. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, for the most part, feel the same way where, um, you know, we do have to acknowledge the players did make quite a bit of sacrifices for the bubble experience. But as you said, it, it was, you know, a give and take where, look, the players made sacrifices and you know, nobody wants to go through the bubble experience and nobody wants to be holed up in a hotel again. So that's really why we're not going to see that because the players association is not going to sign off on it. Um, but on the same hand here uh, that was done because it, it wasn't necessarily a threat, but it was very clear. Look, you guys don't have to do this, but if you don't, there are major financial ramifications that are going to come from this, just so you're aware. And I think it's kind of the same thing here, where it's, you know, we appreciate everything you did and the sacrifices you made to go through the bubble, and we got through it. And now this isn't ideal, but we kind of need to speed this up and get a quick turnaround here. And it's kind of the same discussion, isn't it? Of, look, if, if you guys want to do this, fine, but, the, you know, the league has, they still have a, a bit of time to um uh what was it who was it i can't remember who it was now it might have been shams who just probably about 10 days ago had the tweet too of the league has until i think it was this friday to basically give the notice on whether or not they're going to tear up the cba and look if you guys don't want to do this that's fine but we're tearing up the cba and it's going to be less money for you the owners aren't going to be making more money because of the fan aspect and, you know, who knows where we go from there. So we kind of need you to suck this up and just plow through it and recognize that it's going to be a tough stretch here for these 18 months probably. But ideally, once we get to the 2021-22 season, that is where this sense of normalcy, we hope, is going to return. And I'll do it one further. It's my belief that this 72 games – it's probably here to stay that I don't see them going back to an 82 because once you've lopped off that much and you're still going to get roughly the same amount of TV revenue and you're probably going to get more when the new contract comes up. Um, it's probably here to stay, especially when you factor in if they do this and can get back on the clock, if you will, and get back to this October through April ish schedule and you take off 10 games, you're basically by doing that, telling the players association back-to-backs are done. You're going to have more pockets on the schedule. You play like a, a Monday game and then you don't play again until probably Friday or Thursday ish. And you know, 
this whole load management thing, we can really start to reduce it in that sense in that we're, we're doing the same amount of time, but we've reduced the amount of games. So that should help you guys out. So it's kind of with the understanding of look for financial reasons, you got to get through this. And also if you can do that, the reward is you guys are going to get something in the following season where it's going to be more uh, beneficial, this new calendar to the players. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think also a couple of factors to include in that would be uh, under a normal schedule, if it was late October through to uh, April, you would also have the, the All-Star break return. And, uh, and I think also the benefit of the fewer regular season games is probably going to be the continuation of some sort of play-in tournament. I, I think yeah. that that is going to be there to stay. Uh, personally, I hope they stick with the 8-9 seed. I don't think you need to extend it from 7 to 10 or, or give more teams than potentially the ninth seed a chance. I, I think that's taken it too far. But if you have a similar situation to what you had in the bubble where the ninth seed can play in, uh, it was exciting. It was fun to watch. Uh, I think it gives some other fan bases in those teams that are in the 10th seed, the 11th seed. It still gives them hope that they can get to the postseason uh, later in the regular season. And of course, the, the load management point you make is a great one as well. If you reduce the regular season by 10 games, but you're telling me that Giannis would have rested six of those anyway, then it's fine. If, if you're increasing the chances or the higher the percentage that Giannis is going to play over the regular season games, or whichever star it may be, Kawhi Leonard, obviously <laughs> the main man, then I, I'm down for it. I'm down for it. I, I'm into it. I, I think it sounds great. And the other point I made on the podcast uh, yesterday, Justin, was just the fact that even the Bucks, I mean, they made it to the second round of the playoffs, but they were done by the end of August. So they've had September, October, November, December, essentially four months in between the season. And they only had one month back on the court and four months off previously before that. So that's a team that made it to the second round of the playoffs. So what about the teams that didn't make the playoffs? What about the teams that weren't even in the bubble? You can't tell me that they're not going to be ready to go. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're the Bulls and the Hawks, you're like, great. I mean, let's let's start this thing in November, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah. you know, and and to that point too. I mean, if you're not the on the Lakers or Heat, you were done by late September, so it's still three months. I know it's yeah. it's only three, but you know, in a typical off season, it's what five months. And as you pointed to, we basically have the off season over the summer. So it's not like these guys have been playing start to finish for the calendar year. And now, Hey, you got a month off and you jump into it. It's not ideal for these two teams. And I guess, you know, you can extend that to uh, teams that played in the conference finals too, where it's not ideal for the four teams, but I mean, look, it's, it's something that you just have to recognize. Okay. This is kind of the last big sacrifice that we have to make. And then once we get into the following season is when we hope that we can return to some normalcy here. All right, let's take a quick break here, but I do want to talk about JJ Redick. There was a trade with JJ Redick involved that uh, flew all over the internet today. So I want to have a quick talk about that. Bleacher Report, Justin, we know they like to come up with their trade scenario articles they do this very regularly and uh, i guess uh, this article was impact trades that nba contenders can make right now uh, we'll dive into this a little bit but i'll just lay out the trade that they had here uh, the bucks received jj reddick for dj wilson ursan uyasova and a 24th pick in the 2020 nba draft i think 
overall, I mean, if you just look at what's included there, DJ Wilson, a guy that, um, you know, if, <laughs> to this point, you have to say, probably not going to get into the rotation depending on, on what happens. Unlikely, from what we've seen over the last two seasons, Ursan Ugisova, uh, that's the interesting part of this, then pick 24. With Ursan, we've mentioned this a couple of times, the reason why this is a difficult trade to really assume would actually happen is because the Bucks would have to guarantee that contract. And I just don't see any way they're going to do that unless the trade is uh, organized either uh, prior to this date or or they guarantee him with the trade already locked in that they're going to make happen. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that they would guarantee Ersan's deal and use him as a trade chip. I don't see that as a likely scenario just because it is pretty risky and that salary is absolutely not one that they want to guarantee here. But, but any thoughts uh, on this overall, this deal that's been thrown out there? So the Pelicans are the contender in this scenario, I take it? Um, (laughs) you know uh, JJ he's an expiring deal too isn't he yes so 13 million owed for 2020-2021 which which is a tradable uh, contract and obviously the 4.5 million with DJ Wilson and the 7 for Ursan and uh, the first pick uh, salary there adds up and and works out yeah I mean it's it just kind of to me it just kind of highlights what I've felt like for years in that while it's fun to play with, the trade machine is the worst thing that's happened to NBA Twitter and the NBA internet because now you just get people that just look at, okay, well, I just let me just keep adding up the salaries and wait for the trade machine to tell me this trade would work under those parameters, and perfect, it works. How about this? Because, number one, I mean, why would the Pelicans do this deal with J.J. Redick already as an expiring deal? So, basically – you're giving up the expiring contract and saying DJ Wilson is the asset or whatever you pick with 24, which the range that we've seen and for this draft class, I mean, once you get past, you know, the late teens, it's probably not great. So not really great assets that I, I don't really see why you would just punt on an expiring asset to take back another expiring contract and a, at best, so-so young player and a so-so at best draft pick. So that part doesn't make sense to me. Uh, the addition of Stan Van Gundy and his close relationship with J.J. Redick and probably having a factor in Stan Van Gundy taking that job in New Orleans also makes very little sense to me why the Pelicans would all of a sudden trade J.J. Redick that – um, look, if if the Pelicans were willing to do this, I would absolutely do it. I just don't see how this is at all remotely feasible that either t- that the Pelicans would be interested in this deal. I agree, but I think this is a this is an easy avenue to dive into some sort of JJ Reddick conversation here. Reddick last year, and it's worth mentioning, JJ Reddick is already thirty six years old. Uh, and and will turn 37 in June next year. So, uh, listen, he's an old man. He's an old man. We know this is an old Bucks team. Uh, do they want to go down the path of adding a guy like J.J. Redick as well? Like I said, the $13 million salary is something they can probably add up the pieces to get to if they really want to. Would it appease where the Pelicans are at? I think that Redick is a, is a nice complement for that roster. So I don't think that there would be any real desire for the Pelicans to trade J.J. Redick unless they saw some value in, yes, a guy as a versatile defensive option in D.J. Wilson and potentially a first-round pick. Who knows? I don't really know where they're going to be. That doesn't seem like something that would make sense. But as far as J.J. goes, uh, last season, 
45.4% from three. He was only behind George Hill in three-point shooting. Uh, Catch-and-shoot situations, he was 47.2% from three. So just lethal. Still a lethal shooter, even at his age. I, I still see some sentiment on Twitter that I wouldn't have JJ Reddick back. I would not have him back. This is not a good situation. He doesn't like Milwaukee. This is absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? That was years ago. The team sucked. And to be honest, if I was him, I wouldn't have wanted to go to Milwaukee to get swept by the Miami Heat either. That's exactly what happened. I remember he'd been on previously a pretty successful Orlando Magic team. So we don't hold anything against JJ Reddick for that, do we? Um, I don't. Uh, I don't know that we can say the same for most of Bucks fans, though. Just based off some of the things, you know, hearing fans takes to this day on JJ Redick, and even you know last year bringing up the the name of JJ Redick around the trade deadline and seeing the New Orleans struggles and the in the injury to Zion and, and seeing that name come up of well, what if New Orleans was willing to move JJ Redick? Um, it doesn't seem like he has a lot of fans in this area to this day. Uh, I'm with you though, where I would absolutely take him. I would take him on this deal. I don't want to be the team that pays 37 year old JJ yeah. Redick. That you know, it, it's kind of like the Victor Oladipo. Um, what if it did happen? Deal that we talked about, where it's trades like that that sign me up because you know you have Giannis for this year. Who knows after that? These are one year deals. So even if the worst case scenario comes, and you see the two time reigning MVP leave you're not tied down and anchored to some bad deals then that those players are probably also going to leave. Um, but I, I mean, I just, you, you know, some of the numbers too for JJ, I almost had to do a double take where we shouldn't really be surprised, but you mentioned the shooting last year and then just looking through his career logs, like 47%, 46%. Is this, is this real? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's exactly what they need and it's, you know, I think most of us kind of knew what we were getting with Kyle Korver at that advanced state in his career, but it's, I mean, what he did last year, and you look at the numbers, that is everything you really, really hoped Kyle Korver could provide to you and more. So let me ask you this. We've spoke so much about the Bucks needing a point guard, an upgrade at the point guard position, ball handling, pick and roll ability. We've also said that the Bucks might not get their best case scenario. It's going to be difficult. Could you still run with Eric Bledsoe, but upgrade the shooting from below average to elite if you add a JJ Redick and a Danilo Gallinari? Um, I mean, again, sign me up for it. You know, that's the interesting thing is I think you and I have talked about this a couple of times now where, and you know, I've, I feel even more strongly about this now that the longer we've gone on the longer as if it's been a while, but the longer we've gone on in this off season, I'm starting to really settle in on, you know what? I think for the most part, a lot of teams, especially now with this very, very, very shortened schedule that we're going to have in the off season, I think a lot of teams are just going to run it back basically. And, you know, whether or not it's pointing to the bubble situation and saying, well, it was just a weird finish to the season. We think under normal or somewhat normal circumstances back in home arenas, things will go differently. And also, as, as we just said, I mean, you're going to have four weeks basically to sort out free agency and everything else. I think we're going to see a lot of teams just run it back. And, you know, if you're the Bucks, 
I think what you bring up is something that they've already started to examine in that, look, are there deficiencies here? Sure. And would we like to upgrade? Probably. But realistically, what can we do if bringing on, you know, a $45, $48 million salary in Chris Paul is, let's say, less than ideal. And outside of that, targets that, you know, uh, J.J. Reddick's teammate and Drew Holiday that everybody's been pointing to. We talked about why would this make sense for the Pelicans in the, in the Reddick deal? Well, what do the Bucks possibly have that could entice the Pelicans for Drew Holiday compared to some other teams? So in that sense, your probably best bet is going to be hoping the league does raise the tax and that way you do have that full exception. And a guy like Gallinari becomes an even more feasible target. But if you keep largely the same group back together and you can add one to two pieces that don't have to be major pieces, but if you can get a guy like Gallinari and even somebody else that isn't JJ Redick, that's a better shooter and you upgrade everything else around him and you say, okay, um, for the second unit, we have these guys and we're going to lean on Dante more. And maybe it means you lean on George Hill even more. And Eric Bledsoe, it could mean is your starting point guard, but he plays 20, 25 minutes in the playoffs and you don't really see him much in the second half. If that's the scenario where you keep the group the same, but you just make that change and you upgraded the shooting, I mean, who's to say the Bucks aren't incredible, like vastly improved with that uh, different personnel? It's it's basically it's really what we've seen. So let's consider the series against Toronto in the conference finals. The Bucks shot thirty-one percent from three against Miami in the second round this year. They shot thirty-two percent from three, and which is amazing because it feels like it would have been like eighteen percent. Yeah, right, exactly. And but the point is that yes, Bledsoe clearly his performances in the postseason have been below what we expect and below what we've seen in the regular season. There's no doubt about that. I think what's always also come back to bite the Bucks is the fact that they, they don't have adequate shooting. They've got guys that will shoot, no problem. They'll let it fly. They do it in the regular season. But shooting in the postseason is a different pressure level to shooting in the regular season when you're winning by 20, 25 points and the defense isn't there. So it's become too easy, not only because of Eric Bledsoe, but because of Giannis as well and his shooting inability for teams to just say, well, I don't really care if Pat Conan is shooting the ball. I don't care if Dante DiVincenzo is letting a fly. I'm not scared about that. So while we talk about the perfect scenario of, yeah, you know, trading Bledsoe in some sort of Drew Holiday deal or trading Bledsoe in some sort of Chris Paul deal, great, cool. That fixes the problems. I've said this before, you might not get your perfect scenario. So if Bledsoe comes back, who, by the way, still a very, very good NBA player, two-time all-defensive player, the Bucks would be good with Eric Bledsoe still around. But could you work some other moves around the fringes? Yes, for JJ Redick. Uh, yes, potentially for Danilo Gallinari, although he's had some issues in the postseason as well. But a top 23-point percentage shooter last season, along with George Hill, along with Chris Milton, along with JJ Redick, all of a sudden, the dynamic changes a little bit because if you're the opposition, it's like, okay, well, I'm not happy letting J.J. Redick, 47% catch-and-shoot uh, guy out on the perimeter by himself. I'm not okay with Danilo Gallinari or Chris Milton out there as well. And all of a sudden, you've got multiple serious threats uh, from three, and that changes the game a little bit as well. So I think that's another avenue uh, we could all look at. It might not be ideal. It might not be perfect, but it may also be a way that you can still improve the team. Yeah, and you know, I, I think at this point, uh, Gallinari is probably your number one 
target and your best hope and your most feasible. And a lot of that is going to tie to what we're starting to hear more and more rumblings of from guys like Mark Stein and Brian Windhorst of teams really putting the pressure on the league and saying, look, you raised the cap a couple of years ago artificially. Just do the same thing with the tax line here and, and bump it up so more teams will be willing and will have the full exception to use, and they're going to be willing to spend then if you do that, and it's going to cost me a dollar and not a dollar fifty. Uh, the Bucks are going to be one of the biggest benefactors if that happens because of what it opens up. I mean, we know if it doesn't happen, it's going to have to be some type of sign and trade or just a, a minor trade that you pull off given what they have in terms of financial flexibility. So uh, if you can add that, that's probably going to be your number one move and your best hope here if you're a Bucks fan and looking how they can you know, somewhat dramatically alter the roster this offseason. But I just, just said – I don't expect anything dramatic, and it's not just for the Bucs. I think this is going to be for a lot of teams that the the dramatic moves, it kind of feels like we won't see happen until the trade deadline because you're going to have a lot of teams uh, you know, still figuring things out for one, but also with how compressed everything is going to be, I mean, you're throwing a lot at teams where, okay, now – uh, set up your camp and, you know, fill out your roster and the draft and the free agency and all that has to happen. And you're doing that on the heels of right now, we don't know what the cap situation is going to be. So that you're going to get that and you figure that'll be a quick turnaround time. That is my impression that a lot of the bigger moves are going to happen a couple of months in, or in this case, probably what, a month or two in where you get the trade deadline and teams have a better feeling of financially where things are headed and what their team looks like that it's into the season where, where we'll see these moves made. And just to round up the point you made on, on Bledsoe too, which, look, it's not like he's a negative player where his, his playoff performances, yes, those have been negative. But by and large, he's not a net negative here for you. And just you hear not so much amongst Bucks fans, but you hear it nationally when people point to, well, the Bucks really overpaid him. I mean, he's still in the middle tier in terms of contracts for point guards here. And I think it's this year and next year that he has left. And then after that, that contract's gone, but it's, you know, what, 16 to $18 million in each of those next two years. So you think about other guys that we've mentioned that are making that much and more. It's not like this is an awful deal now, especially if we're talking about a guy that you can't really play in crunch time and you're playing around 20 minutes, that $18 million figure, it, it looks less good, but it's not an albatross. All right. Well, to wrap this up, the Dodgers have just won the World Series. So commiserations to our friend Blake Snell. No relation to Tony. Well, and, and to wrap that up, I, so I did find the game that you're referencing. It, sure enough, it was a January game, uh, January 28th. And uh, that was the game where Tony Snell hit four three-pointers. So I think we can definitely count on one hand the amount of games where Tony Snell had three or more threes. Yep, Tony Snell, lights out that night. Unfortunately, the Bucs couldn't get the job done, but it's always fun to talk about our old friends, and who knows? Tony Snell could be back on the Bucs sometime in the future. I'm sure we would all love to see that. I wonder whether he'll come out of his shell from a media point of view. I, I highly doubt it. But uh, pod number two for the week for you, Justin. Uh, you're a star. I appreciate it. Anytime. Maybe he'll come out of his Snell, too. You come out of his snow. Um, I, I'm really disappointed I missed that opportunity. But uh, we'll, we'll keep rolling on. A few guests lined up for the rest of the week. Hopefully, if they come through, just trying to organize some time there. I won't give them away because uh, as soon as I do that, it's inevitably will fall through. But for Justin, 
myself, we will be back tomorrow. Take care and we'll speak to you guys then.